Glad to be with you. I want to say welcome to those engaged with us online. Let's turn together to the Old Testament, to Psalm chapter 139. And there's lots of new people around. The room is full this morning. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, say good morning to them. It's important we welcome one another in this place. If you are new with us, we're in a teaching series we've called Hot Topics. And today our topic is abortion. And I appreciate those of you who came up to me and said, good luck. And I'm, I'm just kidding. No one, no one said good luck. I did have several say, hey, we're praying for this moment. And so thank you. Super thankful for, for, your, for your prayers. It means a, a, great, a great deal. This week, I was on one of, my, one of my runs, or if I'm being honest, slow jog in my neighborhood. And I noticed one of my neighbors was having this tree in his front yard chopped down and removed off his front lawn. And it was a large tree. I mean, it wasn't a dead tree. It didn't look dead, but it was set kind of on the corner of his house in the front yard. And I thought, I wonder, I mean, why would you have, you know, a mature tree like that that provides shade for your house? Why would you cut that down? And, and I just assumed that there was concern that this tree would maybe fall on my neighbor's house. And so he was having it chopped down and removed. And so as I ran by, I saw a man, a worker with a chainsaw at the base of the tree. And then a few feet away from the house and the tree was another worker, and he was holding a rope. And the rope uh, went up into the tree, and it was tied around the trunk of the tree. And they were working together, and I assume they both were working in sync because they did not want the tree, when it fell, to fall on the house. And here's my point. We have about 22 minutes and we're going to discuss one of the hottest issues of our day. And let's not let the tree crush the house this morning. Because there is probably someone or some in this room that have had an abortion or they encouraged it. And we don't want the tree to crush them this morning. And I just want to say that if you have had an abortion or you encouraged one, maybe it's been a few years, maybe it's been many years, and you've kept that a secret. And in doing so, it's fostered in you maybe shame or guilt. The leadership of TBC, we want, we want you to hear us, and we want you to know that Proverbs 28 says, the one who confesses finds compassion. And so if that is you this morning, our pastors, our leadership would love to talk with you. And so if this is a secret that you've held, and you're looking for somebody to talk to, you can text pastor to the number on your screen. And we would love to be there for you. But we also want to be real careful this morning and have a great deal of compassion. I do because I'm a sinner. And if you could get in my mind and, and see the things that I think about, you would agree. And so I want this morning us to have compassion because that's how I would want someone to deal with me. 
And two, I want us to be careful and have compassion this morning because the tension between pro-life camp and the pro-choice camp is very intense, especially with the overturning of Roe. And so we want to, again, be real gentle this morning because we don't want the tree to crush the house. But we do want to address this issue. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we think and how do we, how do we act biblically when it comes to abortion, what some are referring to as the moral issue of our day? And I believe Psalm 139 can help us. Psalm 139 is called the jewel of all the Psalms, and I believe David can give us some insight and some direction as we navigate this challenge as people of faith. But you must understand that abortion is not a word you're going to find in the Bible, and so we'll have to glean some truth from David. And in verse 13 of Psalm 139, he writes, For you have created my innermost parts, You wove me in my mother's womb, and I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Can you say awesomely with me? And wonderfully. Say wonderfully. Made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Now, immediately, some read this poetry, and they see the phrase, my mother's womb, and they begin to think, or they begin to raise this objection against Christians, and they say, see, all you care about is the unborn. But we can assure you, as a church, We have a healthy ministry. Could it be healthier? Yes, but we have a healthy ministry when it comes to womb to tomb. I mean, you could take, for example, locally here, we have a a benevolence fund. Our church says that we have helped hundreds of people in need. We could go global and we could talk about the, the couple from our church that's working with Ukrainian refugees in this very moment. And we're not the only church that has a healthy womb to tomb ministry. There are thousands of churches and Christian organizations across our country that have a healthy womb to tomb ministry. I can assure you, TBC does. Could it be healthier? And hopefully after today, it will be healthier. But look at Psalm 139, verse 13. It says that God created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. And this is one of many cases in the Bible declaring that we are made by God. There's Psalm 119. There's Isaiah 44. There's 1 Corinthians chapter 8. There's also the gospel of John, where John writes in verse 3 of how Jesus, how we're all created through Jesus. And nowadays, when you go and try to buy a product, it's hard to find a product that's made in the USA, right? And you can search high and low, and it's hard sometimes to find something that's made in the good old USA. Well, I want you to know, and I want to encourage you, when it comes to who made you, and when it comes to who made me, there's no wondering. It's clear. You and I were made by God, made by him. And I've been thinking of the movie 
Finding Nemo, and there are these characters, these seagulls, and the only word that these seagulls have is mine, 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 mine. And when I think about how God has created all of us, I just see God going, mine, 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 mine. They're all created by me. They're mine. You and I are made by God. Notice David says, you created my innermost parts. That's kidneys. I mean, you created my kidneys, my innermost parts, and you wove me. This language, beautiful. You wove me in my mother's womb. And so David is saying, you've created my kidneys, and then you, you've taken my bones, and you've taken my tendons, and you've put them together, and then you've just you've put flesh over my, my kidneys and my bones and my tendons. Where? In the womb. You and I were made by God. But additionally, we were made distinctly. We are unique from all of God's creation. How many of you, be honest with me, how many of you have a, a chair at home you like to sit in? Any teenagers, point out your dad, if your dad always has a chair. My kids would. Sometimes my wife's like, can you get up out of your chair, you know? But, you know, dad, some dads typically will have a chair. Sometimes the, the, the wife will. How many of you have a favorite coffee mug? It's like your mug that you like out of all the coffee mugs. Yes, several, several of you. you we have these, these special chairs. We have a variety of chairs in our house, but we have that special one. We have, you know, 100 coffee mugs, but we have our one. In our house, we've got paper plates, we've got everyday plates, we've got china plates, but we have the special plate. It's unique from all other plates, and you get it on a birthday or anniversary or if we're honoring you, and we put that in front of you when we eat dinner, and it's unique from all other plates in our house. And friends, when it comes to all of God's creation, you are unique. Genesis 1:27 says that you and I are made in the image of God. We are the pinnacle of his creation. We're the grandest of his creation because we are made, Genesis tells us, in his image. And so made by God distinctly. Now jump with me down to verse 16. But David doesn't stop there. He says, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me. Now think about that. God is the author of your life. He is, has this book and he's writing out your days that were ordained for you. What's happening in this very moment? It's in his book. What's going to happen to you tomorrow? It's in his book. What's going to happen to you 10 years, 20 years? It's in his book. And here's the truth I want us to grab this morning. Is that God is the creator and author of life. As a Christian, this is our truth, that God is the creator and author of life. And this will get us in trouble with culture. This is contrary to culture. But it's a truth as followers of Jesus that we must hold to. And so how does this truth that God is the creator and author of life how does it relate to questions related to abortion? Like the question that maybe many of you have gotten from a friend, maybe a family member of, well, when does human life begin? And here is what I'm learning. If human life does not begin at conception, then there is marginalization. 
If human life does not begin in conception, there is marginalization. What I mean is some will say, well, you know, life doesn't begin unless it's at the embryo stage or life doesn't begin unless it's at the fetus stage. If that's when life begins, then unborn babies are marginalized. And Jesus was all about those on the margins, amen? He was always going after them. And if God is the creator and author of life, then as people of faith, we must say that life begins at conception to help protect the unborn so that they are not marginalized. And given our country's what's been called expressive individualism, there's another question that's raised about rights. What about my right? What about my right? Now, we just read how we are God's unique creation as men and women, how we're the pinnacle of his creation, which means we all have dignity and respect for one another. But when it comes to the issue of rights or my rights, we have to lay down this truth that God is the creator and author of life. And when we lay down that truth on the question of rights, then the question of rights is neutralized. Why? Because you and I were made by God. And because we are made by God, we belong to him. In the New Testament, it says that you and I, as Christ followers, we were bought with a price. We, our bodies are not our own. Instead, we are to glorify God with our bodies. And so it is different, a truth. It's a hard truth for some people. But as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, if God is the creator and author of life, then the question about rights is neutralized. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever got caught plagiarizing? Not that I, I'm raising my hand, not that I did, but have you ever got caught plagiarizing? Like plagiarizing is to take someone, someone else's thought and some, or someone else's idea and making it your own. This is what we tend to do with life, with the rights argument. We claim something that is not ours. It belongs to God. Life belongs to God. And when we try to take a life that doesn't belong to us, it's a gift from God, and we abort or terminate that life, then, friends, we are destroying the very work of God. The very work of God. Another question that gets raised about this debate is, is what, happens to, what happens to the souls of unborn children? Well, the Bible's not extremely clear on this, but we can have a confident hope. And we get this from King David. Many of you know the story of King David. He had an affair with Bathsheba and they had a child. And after that child had been alive for seven days, the child dies. And I want you to look with me at what 2 Samuel says. 
in what David says to those around him about his child. And David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and the child may live. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring my son back again? And then David says these words, I am going to him. And where is David going? From Psalm 23, he tells us he's going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so David says, I will go to him. So where is his son whose life was taken from him? Dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And the verse goes on and David says, but he will not return to me. And so we can have a confident hope that the the souls of those who are boarded, they're in the presence of our living God. Amen? Amen. And so David, in this beautiful psalm, he says, God, you're you're the creator and you're the author of life. And, And look with me at verse 14, how he responds to this. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul deep down knows it very well. Our response to life should be one of appreciation and awe. David says, I will give thanks to you. Have you given God thanks for your life and for the life of your student or your child? David, realizing that God is the one who gave him his life, says, I I give you thanks for my life. And he says, I am fearfully, I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Have you ever been sitting in front of a doctor and they're talking about your body and they're using these words and and these ideas and phrases that you're trying to act like you know what they're talking about, but you have no clue. And so you kind of have the deer and the headlight look. I had that just a few weeks ago as I was listening to this doctor talk about my body and how how my body tries to fight allergies. and, And I'm just like deer in the headlight looks just, you know, I... I can, can't even understand what he's trying to say, you know, just as hard as it's trying to read what they write out, the prescriptions, you know, which how in the world does a pharmacist read the doctor's handwriting? I'm, and they give you the right medicine? I don't know. Anyway, the, I'm listening to the doctor talk about my body and how it's functioning, how it's working. And, and David thinks about his body and, and he thinks about how it works and operates together. And he just says, I'm in awe. I mean, like right now, your heart is not getting in the way of your lungs. Your calf muscle is not getting in the way of your knee. Your your left foot and your right foot aren't getting tangled. They're operating in unison. That's what it means when David says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is his response to God being the creator and author of life. And it should be our response, awe and appreciation when it comes to life. Have you thought about the Bible and how it responds to pregnancy, how it responds to a child being born and how it responds to children in general? Have you thought about that? If you go and you look in the Bible at these times when a woman was pregnant or a baby was born or children in general, general, there's joy, there's prayers of thanksgiving, 
Elizabeth, the woman that carried John the Baptist, she even feels the favor of God, and she says this in Luke chapter 1. Elizabeth, she says, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me. When he looked with favor upon me. And so the biblical response, the the people in the Bible, when they responded to pregnancy, when they responded to the birth of a child, when they responded to children in general, there was appreciation, there was awe, there was thanksgiving, there was joy. And this, unfortunately, is contrary to some in our culture. But it's the response of the people of God because God is the creator and author of life. And so if this is true of God, then what does it mean for us today? What does it mean for you? In the New Testament, there are several stories and images that kind of help give us an idea on how to navigate forward. If we're going to stand on the truth that the God is the creator and author of life, if we're going to try to live in appreciation of life, there's some stories and images from the scripture I think can help us. And you are familiar with the Good Samaritan and how he went above and beyond when it came to giving care for the man that was dying on the road. Or the early church, and this idea the scripture says, not one among them was in need because they were caring for each other. Or think about Jesus who gave up his life as a ransom for many. See, there's a theme, especially in the New Testament, and it's a theme of how the people of God and Jesus acted sacrificially for the sake of others. Acted sacrificially for the sake of others. And this is what Richard Hayes challenges us to do as the people of God in awe of what Jesus has done and how his people respond to issues is that we would act sacrificially for the sake of others, especially for the one in need. On Thursday in Waxahachie, a baby just a few hours old was born and placed in some bushes by a young teenage girl. I heard this yesterday from one of our firefighters who works in the city. And as he began to tell me the story, obviously I reacted reacted probably like some of you, just sadness, maybe frustration. But some poor teenage girl didn't have anywhere to turn. And so she gives birth to this baby and puts it in a bush. But imagine if the church were to follow the example of the Good Samaritan, to follow the example of the early church, and to follow the example of Christ, and we would act sacrificially for the sake of others. Imagine what could have happened for that young teenage girl. Imagine if there was a a church, a people of faith that accepted her into their weekly gatherings and, and said, hey, I have a seat for you here. I know you're a pregnant teenager, but you're welcome here. Sit with me. What if, what if she was welcomed on Wednesday night youth program? What if some of the people in the church got together and, and provided diapers and other needs for her and the child? What if some of the men in the church went and found the father and said, hey, we want to come alongside you and support you through this? Imagine if God's people would would rise up, not just to speak against abortion, but to care for those who are in the midst 
of difficult times. Imagine the testimony that would be to the world. Imagine. And then this poor girl wouldn't have to put her baby in the bushes. Thankfully, there was some good Samaritan that came by and called 911. And uh, the latest news I have, that, that boy is healthy. Praise God. And so church, how can we rise up? How can we step into this moment and be like Jesus? One of our friends is here to help us with that. So on June 24th of 2022, the Supreme Court ruled that the United States Constitution does not contain a right to abortion. Thus, the Supreme Court overturned the Roe v. Wade decision. So a lot of folks are asking, what does that mean? Does that mean abortion is illegal in the United States? Well, not quite. What Roe did was it prevented states from prohibiting abortion somewhere around 24 weeks of pregnancy. So now with Roe gone, states actually have the authority to prohibit abortion again. So currently at the time of this filming in the state of Texas, abortion is illegal based on pre-Roe laws. Uh, additionally, the Human Life Protection Act, which was passed last summer, is set to go into effect sometime in August. And effectively what this means is that there are going to be uh, children who would have perished as a result of abortion who won't, who will be protected uh, here in the state of Texas. So what does this mean for the church? Well, let me be clear, this, this is a win. This is a very positive thing. There are children who, whose lives would have been taken away by abortion who, who will now live, and that's wonderful. And we can and should celebrate that. Uh, but we do want to temper that excitement a little bit. Uh, I've heard some people use a quote from Churchill that seems very appropriate. And now this is not the end. This is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Much remains to be done uh, in the legal and political spheres uh, to protect life and even more remains to be done to meet those uh, who are experiencing unplanned pregnancies as the hands and feet of Christ and to love and support them and to create a culture that values life. The church has something essential to offer in this conversation about life. Imago Dei. Genesis 1:27 says, "So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them." Obviously, the broader culture no longer acknowledges that. But if we as the church don't recognize that and don't stand on it, I don't think that we can have any confidence that we're even going to be able to maintain the progress that has been made. So now what? Let me propose a few things uh, for you to think about. With Rogan, there are gonna be children who are born to difficult circumstances who otherwise wouldn't have. That means there are gonna be more children in need of adoption and foster care. Maybe that's something that your family is being called to. There are still gonna be men and women who are a part of unplanned pregnancy situations, who are still going to pursue abortions and who still need to be met with life-affirming alternatives. Maybe you should participate and be involved with organizations like Grace House Ministries who are pursuing those people and offering that life-affirming support. 
We're currently seeing an ideological pushback to the pro-life position that is maybe stronger than anything we've seen in the last 50 years. I think it's important for each of us to familiarize ourselves enough with the pro-life position to be able to have a kind, compassionate, well-reasoned conversation and to familiarize ourselves with the most common pro-abortion arguments so that we can, can meet them with well-reasoned, biblically sound, medically sound arguments for why life is valuable and should be protected. Uh, because while laws are important, the conversation over the dinner table is much more effective in changing hearts and minds. And, and that's where the work needs to be done. Now and always, let's remember that the person who's been impacted by an abortion decision is sitting right next to you. She was 15 when she became pregnant and her mother forced her to have an abortion and now she's in your small group. He was a college freshman when his girlfriend had an abortion and didn't even tell him that she was pregnant. Now he smiles, greets you, and shakes your hand every Sunday morning. Let's think about that in the way that we speak about abortion. Because while we offer repudiation of abortion, uh, as followers of Christ, we offer restoration and hope and healing in Jesus. And if you're, you're sitting here and you're hearing this video, you're watching this video, and you participated in an abortion decision in the past, know that God loves you. The sacrifice of Christ covers all of your sin, including this one. Yes, this one too. He loves you and he wants you to experience healing. And we would love to talk to you about uh, how you can begin to fully receive that. So church, let's be the hands and feet of Christ and be active in loving everyone that he loves. That's uh, Charlie Ricky, the executive director of Grace House Ministries, one of our ministry partners, and he's here with us today, and some of his team will be in the Connection Center, and if you want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this fight, I want to encourage you before you leave, be sure to stop by and talk with them, and thank them for joining us today. In church, uh, yesterday I walked by my neighbor's house where that tree was cutting, where that tree was cut and removed, and I, and I grabbed this piece. Just as a reminder, as we respond to, the abor to abortion, don't let the tree crush the house. Let us respond with great care and compassion. And maybe for the one among us who you've had an abortion or maybe you helped, encouraged it, I want to leave you with this word from the Apostle Paul. In 1 Timothy chapter 15, he writes this. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I just imagine the Apostle Paul thinking, Moses, murderer, and had anger's issue, I'm worse than him. Rahab, the prostitute, I'm worse than her. David, adulterer, murderer, I'm worse than him. The Samaritan woman, five husbands, I'm, I'm, I'm worse than her. And, and then he writes on this line, he says, to save sinners among whom I am the foremost. Yet for this reason, I found mercy. Why? He goes on and says, so that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. And so friends, if you have had or have encouraged an abortion sometime in your life, 
on the authority of God's word and by looking the example and the testimony of the Apostle Paul, I want you to hear loud and clear, his mercy is more. His mercy is more. Would you please stand with me as we respond in song? Our great God and loving Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can declare that your mercy is more because it is more. It's more because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so as your people all across this room, may we respond appropriately in whatever way your spirit nudges us this morning. May we respond appropriately. And we do thank you for the grace and mercy that you have extended to us, the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose great name we pray, amen.